Amen. Good morning. Happy New Year. We uh, played football on New Year's Day and had a, a great time, and this is a brace. So just so you know, I was throwing the ball, and just as I came back to throw the ball, someone came and slammed the ball back, and I'm hoping it's a sprain. I'm hoping it's not a, a tear, but it feels really, everything takes longer, because when I brush my teeth, I can't, it's my right hand, and I can't bend my elbow. So if I scream in pain in the middle of the message, it's because by accident, I'll, I'll bend it, and then, ah, you know, and you'll know that that's what it was. So it's not the Holy Spirit coming upon me, necessarily. It's, uh, it's probably some of that, uh, <laughs> that, that pain from that, uh, that elbow. Uh, but this morning, um, if you have a Bible, uh, open up to the book of Acts chapter 1. And if you don't have a Bible, we have Bibles available for you in the backs of those seats, and you could uh, borrow that Bible, and, and if you need a Bible, um, let us know. We'd love to give you a Bible so that you could follow along. And this morning, uh, we started at 9 a.m., uh, just going through a time of prayer. We have, um, as you've heard, 21 days of prayer. Um, when we were in Southern California for Christmas, visiting uh, my, my mom and my family down there, on December 28th, we had an opportunity to go to Calvary Chapel Golden Springs. And uh, it was really good for me because Sunday evening was a question and answer time. It was about ministry. And uh, Raul Reese, uh, my pastor uh, down there, just kind of reviewed the history of, of our church down there and what had happened. I, I remember as a kid being uh, five, six years old going to a kung fu studio. And Raul Reese was an instructor and um, he would move the chairs out on Wednesday nights and we would just sit on the floor and we would pray. And I remember an expectation as we sought the Lord. I remember... This expectation as a, as a young child, I knew that there was something that I experienced there in that place because not only were people loving, but there was an expectation that God was going to move. Then he kind of reviewed, uh, just looking back at when the Lord called the church, um, called him to go to Diamond Bar from West Covina, which is about uh, 15, 17 miles away. Imagine that's a, that's a long distance and there was a church property that was for sale or it was an um, industrial building. So the church bought the building and the building was um, this glass um, gigantic building. And at the time they were ready to move in and uh, the, the city of Diamond Bar was very friendly at first towards the church. Once the church bought the property, then the, um, the, the planning department said, hey, there's a lot of things you're going to have to retrofit and do these things. And I want you to imagine this, for 365 days, for a year, we met outdoors. A church of 3,000 people, we set up 2,000 chairs every Sunday. We met in the parking lot, and for a year, it did not rain. Sunday mornings and Sunday nights, uh, or Wednesday nights. It would rain on Saturdays, it would rain on Mondays, Tuesdays, but then Wednesday, it would be raining, and we'd look at it and go, I don't know what's going on, are we going to have to cancel service? Three o'clock, the rain would stop. We'd wipe down the chairs, and then we would have service. And I remember that as the congregation dwindled at that point, and uh, they had, you know, money was very tight, and it got to the point where they couldn't uh, afford the salaries, and some of the guys had to go back to work. Some of the guys had left, and, and it, the only thing they had to go on was, is the Lord telling us to do this? And I want you to think about your own life this morning as we get into God's Word, because Paul the Apostle is going to come into a situation in his life where he believes that God is calling him to do something. And everyone else is telling him, Paul, don't do it. 
Paul, you're not hearing from the, the, the Lord. Paul, this isn't right. And yet Paul, as we read this, he has this conviction that God is calling him to something. And I want to ask you this morning, what are you looking back on in 2014? And maybe, maybe you feel stuck. And I hope and pray this morning that you're not stuck, that, that we're not stuck in our past. That mistakes that were made or, or things that you did wrong or disobedience or lack of faith or whatever those things are, that you can move forward. And maybe it goes beyond 2014 and it goes back decades and you could look back 10 years, 20 years, 30 years at, at things that you've done or decisions that you made or didn't make, maybe because of fear. And I want to have us, as we open up God's word, to look forward at what about this last year? What has Christ done, but what have we done for Christ? And what's going to happen in 2015? And sometimes we think about what God has done for us, and that's as it should be. When you read the epistles, it starts off what God has done for us. But then when you get to Romans chapter 12, he says, because of all these things, this is what we're to do. Read the book of Ephesians chapters one through four. This is what God has done through, for us. You get to chapter five, this is what we're supposed to do in response to what God has done for us. So what have you done for the Lord in the past year? What steps of faith have you taken where it was about saying, God, use me. God, help me to have an impact on this world. God, help me to step forward. And as we look at 2015, I wanted to read to you um, something that I wrote in my, my prayer journal because I think it's important that we think of a, a new year in this way. I, I wrote, those who put too much hope in a day to change everything simply because they want a change are destined for disillusionment. If you think that uh, January 1st will change all things because you want it to, then you're going to be disillusioned because January 4th comes around, right? And that's today. And then tomorrow's Monday. It's January 5th. And like, okay, you know, I had this momentum, had a fresh start. It was a new year, and now it's, now it's Monday again. Well, let me also say this. Those who lose hope of what a new day may bring because of the past failures are destined to miss the freshness and momentum of new starts. So, it is a new year, but I know that the only day that will change everything and make all things wrong right will be the day of the Lord. So as we plan and prepare for 2015, let's acknowledge the Lord is God and ask him to lead us and to guide us. So, a year starts with a day. And it starts with, God, what do you want to do in my life? What do you want to do in our church how do you want to work in us moving forward? So the title of the message this morning is Gleaning from the Past, but Pressing Forward. So we want to learn. We want to glean from our past, but we want to press forward. So let's pray that God would help us to do that. And Father, as we see Paul's life, and Lord, he gleans from his past, Lord, we also see him pressing forward. So Lord, we want to put our past behind us. And Lord, it's not as though it didn't happen. God, we, we don't forget those things in that way, but Lord, help us not to continue to look back. Help us, help us to learn and glean from the past, to be thankful, but to press on. And so, Lord, speak to us through your word, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, in Acts chapter 20, um, turn with me to Acts chapter 20, verse 17. I'm going to be reviewing some things, because during Christmas and Advent season, we kind of took a break going through the book of Acts, and we looked at the coming of Christ, and now back in the book of Acts, if you remember, in chapter 20, verse 18, 
uh, there was a, an incredible elders meeting, a spirit-filled elders meeting where Paul called for the elders of the church of Ephesus and they came and they met with him um, in Miletus. And in verse 18, it says, and when they had come to him, he said to them, you know from the first day that I came to Asia in what manner I always lived among you, serving the Lord how I, uh, with all humility, with many tears and trials which happened to me by the plotting of the Jews, how I kept back nothing that was helpful but proclaimed it to you and taught you publicly from house to house, testifying to Jews and also to Greeks, repentance towards God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was very transparent. And I really believe that it's something that as Christians, you know, I was thinking about transparency. And in our internet world, um, I was watching a news program about some of the, the things that happened in 2014. And I don't remember the politician's name. You might, maybe you, you've seen this. It was crazy. He didn't know that there was a camera on him. And he was talking to a reporter that was asking him questions. And he said, look, no more questions. And then he whispers to the guy, if you don't get out of my face, I'm gonna throw you off this balcony. I'm gonna break you in half like a little boy. And he says this, and it gets caught on video. And, and just, it, it was just crazy to me. And that goes viral. You know what blew me away? The guy won. The guy won his reelection. But the thing about that going viral is he didn't know what he said would be shouted from the rooftops. You know, Jesus talked about, you know, what, what is done in secret is going to be shouted from rooftops. And the thing about being transparent is that if you're the same in private as you are in public, then you're not afraid of that. And Paul was not afraid of anyone finding out, anyone following him from house to house, anyone listening to his conversations, because he served the Lord with all humility. Basically, he didn't hold anything back from them. He was who he said he was, and the man that you saw in public was the same man that you saw in private. And I really believe that when it comes to transparency, that God wants us to live lives that are open. Our, our lives are, are written epistles for people to read and for people to see. And when we share trials and struggles and we have accountability to others, people realize that we could be real. You know, I, I think about Paul and I realize, um, do you remember Samuel in the Old Testament? At the end of Samuel's life, he said, have I defrauded anyone? Have I taken anything illegally? Have I, have I not ceased to pray for you? And Samuel was very transparent. Then I think about Jesus, whose life was open to everyone. It was on trial and everyone watched him and he was very transparent because he was who he said that he was. And when he came to trial, there was no accusation that could be brought against Jesus based on morality or anything that he had done wrong because they followed him and they tried to catch him, but he was the same person. So when I, I consider this, in Paul gleaning from his past, he looks back and he says, hey, I was transparent when I was among you. The next thing is that there was this sense of, sense of urgency. In verse 22, it says, And see now, I go bound in the Spirit to Jerusalem, not knowing the things that will happen to me there, except this, that the Holy Spirit testifies in every city, saying that chains and tribulation await me. Now this kind of blows me away, because Paul has a glimpse of his future. I don't know what my future holds, but, but the Lord kind of gave Paul a glimpse there's going to be chains. You're going to get um, put in prison. 
and there's going to be persecution, and there's going to be trials. And I want you to see that even though Paul knows this, he goes forward and he faces the future with an urgency that God is calling him to something great. There's not a fear of, hey, what is tomorrow going to bring? Is it going to bring failure or what might happen or how might people respond? He just goes forward. And in that urgency, I pray that in the same way, that like Paul, we could have this urgency and be steadfast. It says in verse 20, um, 24, notice, but none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself that I might finish my race um, with joy. Consider this. As Paul goes forward, he says, none of these things move me. What is his ministry? To continue to proclaim the gospel, to continue to reach people. You know, I think about how none of these things move Paul. And I look at my life and I, I realize that there are times that fear can grip me. I, I, I could get moved by um, the future. I could get moved by my failure. I could get moved by circumstances. And then I come back to this scripture and I, I'm reminded that when our hope and our faith and our trust is not in ourselves, it's not in our willpower, it's not in our ability, but it's in the Lord, then our foundation is strong. Our foundation is strong. And my mom right now, she's 85 years old. And um, just this last Christmas, she was saying, she said, now when I read the word, she said, there's this expectation and I used to read the word, she said, looking forward at God's promises and God's faithfulness. But now I read the word looking back at God's promises and his faithfulness. And I know he's going to continue to be faithful. Paul said, none of these things move me. And you know why Paul wasn't moved by threats and persecution and trials? He learned the secret of not holding his own life as dear to himself. There was a selflessness in Paul nor do I count my life dear to myself. There wasn't a thought of self-preservation. Jesus said this, whoever desires to save his life will what? Lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. But if we have this thought of self-preservation, I gotta keep my reputation. I gotta keep my job. I gotta keep... Um, my comfort, I have to keep my convenience. And yet God might call you to do something that is risky. In fact, faith is very risky, isn't it? That's what faith is. It means you take risk. It means by trusting the Lord, he has us trusting him in things that we can't do in our own strength. And in that risk, when we trust the Lord and say, I don't count my life dear to myself, then God can really work. People that always live with the fear of not getting back what they put in, never learn the joy and the thrill of just letting go. They never learn the thrill and the joy of just saying, God, I'm all in and I'm surrendered to you. Because in that fear of letting go, it's kind of like, I'm trying to save my life. I'm trying to hold on to my life. And we don't realize that the life that God intended, we're, we're losing it based on the fear to let go and to go forward. Jim Elliott has one of the, uh, my, my favorite quotes of all time, it says, no man is a fool to give up what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. No man is a fool to give up the things that he can't keep in order to gain the things he can never lose. 
And do you know why sometimes we hold our lives dear? Sometimes it's because uh, we're worried maybe that God really isn't good. Maybe if I surrender to God and I really say, God, work in my life and do whatever you want to do, he's going to change things. I hate change. He's going to make me give up some things that I don't want to give up. He's going to make me start some things that I don't want to start. He might even make me forgive some people. He might even make me love some people that are unlovable. I really don't want to do that. So I'm just going to kind of hold back. And what happens is we miss out on life. We miss out on what God wants to do. See, Paul understood this. He said that I might finish my race with joy. Paul was joyful. He was steadfast, but he was also joyful. He wasn't steadfast trudging along like, I just got to do God's will. You know, I'm just, I'm just serving the Lord. And, and sometimes I, I talk to Christians that kind of have that attitude. Like, I know life is terrible, but we just got to serve the Lord. You know, and Paul, he never had that. Even though he was going to go to prison, he said, no, I'm going to finish with joy. There was a determination in Paul to be joyful. I really pray that when we look forward that we have a determination to be joyful. Not just, not just happy. Happiness comes and goes. But a joy, a deep joy that says, de- independent of my circumstances, I can still have joy in the Lord. Because it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's what God produces in us. It says, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He wants to finish his course with joy, this ministry which he received from the Lord. Let me ask you a question. What ministry have you received from God? What ministry have you received from the Lord? Maybe you're thinking, well, God hasn't called me into ministry. Well, if you know the Lord, he has. He's called all of us in the ministry. So do you know what calling he's called you to? And I'm not saying that you have to be full-time vocational missionary or pastor. I'm saying that God has a calling for you. I was so blessed yesterday. I went to get my elbow x-rayed. And the x-ray technician um, at, the, at the doctor's office, um, I had a, a Christian shirt. I had a, a, a anomaly shirt on. And uh, there's a part that says 116, you know, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. And so she started talking to me and found out she was a believer. And it was really cool. She said, you know what? She said, um, yeah, in this last year, um, I've just seen God answer prayer. And she said, there, there's a, a lady that works here at the doctor's office with me. Uh, she's a, another nurse. Um, she said she's not a, she's not a believer or uh, she's really struggling. And uh, someone in her family died during 2014. So she was just having a really, really hard time trusting and believing in God. And so what this nurse that was, uh, you know, the x-ray technician was talking to me about, she said, so I just got all of the other workers, the, the doctors and the nurses, and I, I just said, hey, let's throw a banquet for her. So they threw a surprise banquet. It was a potluck. And she was actually told by her supervisor not to do it. It's not an officially sanctioned work thing, so we're not going to do it. And she said, you know, I just felt like God said, do it anyway. So she said, I did it anyway. And she said, and it's ridiculous for them to try to, to, to not do that. And she said, I took up an offering and uh, we, we provided money for, you know, the memorial service and to help. And she, she, you know, her coworker just started to weep and she was just crying. 
And she goes, and you know what? She's going to church now. And, and uh, she's trusting in God. And you know, I, I think about that and I, I realize that this, this nurse isn't called to be a pastor. She's not called to be a missionary out there in another country, but she is called to be a missionary right here in Santa Cruz County and as a nurse. What is your calling? You know, one of the things that she shared, she said, you know, I, she goes, I, I've been praying for opportunities to share my faith at work. And she goes, and I love it because as an x-ray tech, I have people that come in with these broken bones and these people, you know, things have happened to them. And she goes, and I have an opportunity to share my faith. And she says, I know I risk my job. She goes, but you know what? This is what's most important. And she said, I really believe. She goes, I don't know. She goes, but I think time is short. And here I am talking to this x-ray tech, you know, this nurse that is just preaching it to me, you know, and you're just like, just giving uh, this exhortation, like time is short, you know, be all about it. And I, I think that it's important that we understand that, that the ministry that God has given to you and to me is a ministry that is not reserved for pastors, teachers, elders. It's a ministry that God has given to each one of us. And imagine when you think about a team, you know, anyone that's ever played a team sport, you know that every person on that team contributes. You know, in the NFL, they have a 53-man roster. And when you have a roster where all 53 people are contributing and everyone is trying to improve and do the best that they can, you have this atmosphere as a team where you can really accomplish something. What can happen in the body of Christ if the whole body of Christ says, hey, God, use me, and what is my role in the ministry you've called me to? Because when you find that thing that God has called you to, guess what? There's joy in it. There's joy in it. Your heart starts to beat faster because you start to realize why you were created. You start to realize that God gave you this gift in nursing or this talent in art or music or this ability in business. He's given you this ability to do something and to say, now, God, take this ability and use it. And God can do amazing things when we commit those things to him. Paul was also very consistent in the word of God. In verse 25, he said, Indeed, now I know that you all, among whom I have gone out preaching the gospel of the kingdom, of, or preaching the kingdom of God, will see my face no more. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare to you the whole counsel of God. Paul was consistent in the word of God. And you know one thing that is certain, if, you are a, if you're a mother or you're a father, be able to say like Paul, I have not shunned to declare to you the full counsel of God. Be able to say like Paul, I haven't, I haven't held back of sharing with you. And that's not only you know, rules, regulations, that's sharing your heart, sharing the love that God has, sharing the, the peace that he gives sharing the hope that God gives. Take that opportunity. And it doesn't matter if your children are now adults and now they're, they're living their own lives. Continue to share the full counsel of God. Maybe even how you live. And, and maybe, maybe they're not gonna listen all the time. But Paul said, I'm innocent of the blood of all men. In other words, Paul said, I did my part. You know, in the book of Ezekiel, God tells Ezekiel, to call the watchman. And the watchman is the one on the wall that sees a judgment coming, stands in the gap, declares the counsel of God. And if the people don't listen, God says to the watchman, you've delivered yourself. 
I've declared you innocent from their blood. But if you don't declare to them all the things that I told you to tell them and you don't warn them, then their blood I'm going to require at your hand. You're responsible for that. And sometimes we're responsible for declaring God's counsel to people, but we're afraid because of how they might respond. Now, don't be arrogant and don't be a jerk and be in their face and, and like, you got to do this and do that. You know, don't, don't be that way. But just share with them out of love. Hey, you know what? This is something that God declares and it's for a future and a hope. It's, it's a good thing that God wants. See, sometimes when it comes to ministry, and I, I just think about our world today, it's, it, it's so prevalent um, that there's a, a friendly gospel that offends no one. Now, we're not to be offensive on purpose, but realize this, when the gospel confronts my life and my sinful ways and my selfish lifestyle and my, my mindset that says, I'm in control, I'm the one that calls the shots, and when Jesus just really breaks into my world, it's an offense. And I either humble myself or I'm stumbled by it. I either humble myself or I'm stumbled by it. So Paul says, hey, I gotta give people a shot. I gotta give people an opportunity. See, I remember one time when I used to coach track and field, I had an athlete that his best up to that meet was maybe five foot four. He was a high jumper, maybe five foot six. Uh, Ganesha High School in Pomona had a guy that high jumped six foot eight. Can you imagine that? A high school kid that jumped, high jumped six foot eight. You know, he was the whole um, Southern California CIF champion. So we're going against them, and it's, it's before daylight savings hits, and it's getting dark. And our guy's going against their guy, and we're at like five foot two. We're like two inches away from our guy's best. And then he clears it. He's at five four, and their guy jumps five foot four, and he's like over a foot above it. Their coach comes to me and says, look, it's getting dark, and this is going to take a long time. How about this? Let's declare it a tie. We'll say tie for first place. Your team gets half the points. My team gets half the points. We can all go home. Everyone's cold. Everyone wants to leave. I said, sure, let's do that. So I go up to Russell Morrison, and I tell Russell, hey, good news, you tied for first place. We get on the bus, and Russell takes off his track spikes, he throws them, and he says, I quit, and he's in the middle of Pomona, walks off of the bus. He's angry, and I don't know why he's angry. And I come up to Russell, and I'm going, hey, Russell, what's going on? He's like, coach, you didn't even give me a chance to beat that guy. You just assumed that I'm going to lose to him, and you didn't even give me an opportunity he said, so I don't want to play for you. I don't want to be on your team anymore. I quit. And I looked at Russell, and I grabbed him by the shoulders, and I said, Russell, you just taught me a lesson. I'm sorry. I apologize. And you know what? Russell is one of my favorite ex-athletes to this day. He lives up in Washington, still emails me, calls me coach, tells me things that are going on in his family. And you know what? It's because I started to understand I need to give him a chance. Well, let me tell you this. The person that you don't think will ever receive the gospel. The person you think, they're not going to change. You know, they're stuck in their ways. They're going to reject me. They're going to make fun of me. They're not going to listen. Oh, that teacher, that student, that person, guess what? Give them a shot. Give them an opportunity because there's something so much more valuable than a, a high jump place. Because at the end of eternity, you don't want to say that someone is at a place of saying, you never gave me a shot. You had an opportunity to tell me, and maybe they become Christian 20 years from now, 
And they, they look at their life and the, the heartache and the decisions that they've made and the things that they've done, and they say, how come you never told me? You didn't even give me a shot. You didn't even give me a fair shake. And I think it's important for us not to shrink back from declaring that full counsel of God when we have the opportunity to do so. So Paul was consistent in the word. He, he put first things first in verse 28, therefore take heed to yourselves and, and to the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which he purchased with his own blood. Now remember this, Paul is speaking to the overseers which are the elders. And I wanna say to our elders, let us be careful not only to ourselves and our own lives, but to shepherd the flock of God. That it's not Matt is the pastor and he's the one that shepherds the flock. No, Jesus shepherds the flock and we're under shepherds. And as under shepherds, each one of us have to be consistent in managing, feeding, caring, protecting the flock of God. And what is your flock? Do you have a family? Maybe you're thinking, I'm not an elder, but you have a family. Maybe you have some friends. Maybe you have some people you're responsible for. Shepherd the flock of God. Take heed to yourself. Take heed to those that God has placed you in that position of influence in. And they could even be peers that are your age. But you know the Lord. And God has called you to shepherd. Be watchful for others. Realize this. Accountability in the church is absolutely important. And I want to encourage you in 2015 to not only come to worship gatherings. I know that you don't have to come to church to be a Christian. I understand that. But we live in an individualistic society and culture today that says, I don't need to be a part of anything or be accountable to anyone. And I want to say you're wrong if you think that because you do. You need to be a part of something bigger than yourself and you need to be accountable to others the same way that I need to be accountable to you. So be here. And look for people that, your friends that aren't here. And not in a Gestapo police type of, you know, Red Army type of way. Like, hey, you, you know, where were you? But, but out of love, reach out to them. Because I can't do that for everyone. I think sometimes people put too much responsibility on pastors and elders. And don't take enough responsibility on themselves. That God has called each one of us to be a part of that work. And encouraging, exhorting, and reaching out to others. And Paul says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves, men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore, watch and remember that for three years, I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. Here's Paul's heart with tears. And I've had tears. I've had tears of counseling people that didn't listen to the counsel and went their own way. I've had tears of talking to friends that decided I'm just gonna do my own thing. Paul had tears. And you know, in order to have tears, it means that we have to be moved emotionally. And in order to be moved emotionally, that means we have to love people. And in order to love people, we need to receive the love of Christ and ask him to not only receive his love, but to give that love to others through us. You know what God will do? He'll start to break your heart with the things that break his heart. He will start to burden you with the things that burden him. You won't be able to see just crowds of people sometimes as just a crowd. You'll begin to see them as sheep without a shepherd. And I'm talking to each one of you as individuals 
Just say, God, help me to see people as you see them. God, help me to see people as you see them. Whether I work in the business office or whether I work in a hospital or in a school or I'm a student. God, help me to see people as you see them. Verse 32. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Notice Paul commending them to God is synonymous with commending them to the word of his grace. It's able to build you up. You know, we're on January 4th. And maybe you thought, hey, January 1st, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. And it's the 4th, and you've missed a couple of days. And your thought is, can't wait to 2016. You know, 2016, I'm going to start. You know what? Just get back up, follow along. And, and I, you know, I've, I've done it both ways. I've read through the whole Bible, and, and at times where it's taken longer, sometimes I've just, if, I've, if I haven't caught up, then I just keep my bookmarker there, and then I catch up. You know, you know the problem with that sometimes is that you could be stuck in Genesis for a couple of years. You know, you, you just got to keep going. Sometimes you just got to look at that Bible plan and say, what's the word for today? And maybe, maybe you're not doing all of the chapters that we're going through. Then just do the New Testament. Just do the Psalms of that day. Just do the Old Testament of that day. But if you have version app, if you, you have no excuse because we have the, the one-year Bibles in the hallway. That's a hard copy. I'm not on the internet. I don't have a, a smartphone. We have the one-year Bible. We have the email things that we'll email to you. You can sign up for those. You have version. There's the internet. There's, there's no reason today for us not to read the Bible. I don't know how to read. It's audio now. You could listen to it in your car, all right? There's no reason for us today not to be in the Word of God. And when Paul commends them to the Word of God, he says, it's able to build you up. It's the Word of His grace. Don't avoid God's Word because you're afraid. It's the Word of His grace. I need God's grace. I need, I need God's fresh starts every day. I need hope every day. I need direction every day. I need wisdom every day. I need to know how to deal with my own personal faults and character weaknesses every day. And then it says in verse 33, I've coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. And Paul's saying like, I didn't, I didn't covet anyone's money or, or their clothes. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who are with me. I've shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Man, Paul was a man of integrity that led by example. You know what his example is? It's provide for others when you can be a blessing to them. It's work hard. It's that it's more blessed to give than to receive. If you have been reading through the the one-year Bible, then we started in the book of Genesis. Do you remember just a couple of days ago, I'm reading about Cain and Abel. And these brothers, they bring their offering to God. And, and Cain's offering was rejected, but Abel's offering was received. Why? It says that Abel brought the first fruits, the best, the choice. Cain brought some. And in the book of Hebrews, it says that, that Abel's offering was given in faith and Cain's, uh, Cain's, cable. <laughs> Cain's wasn't in faith. And you know what I see there? Sometimes when it comes to our lack of faith, we're afraid to just say, God, I'm all in. Financially, where are you? 
You know, you look back at 2014, maybe you have a New Year's resolution, I want to get out of debt. Maybe you have a resolution, I want to be more frugal. I want to give more. And sometimes the thing that hinders us is that lack of faith. And, you know, we've been sharing with you as a body, you know, in, in 2014, um, and I, I take responsibility for this in a lot of ways. As we started to climb into debt, you know, we've been climbing out of it. And we've cut back on a lot of different things, which is a blessing. I, I just want to encourage you, sign up for snacks. The reason why we don't have snacks a lot of times right now is because we're not buying snacks. It's not that we can't buy snacks. It's that I don't want to put anything on a card right now. I just want to be diligent and get everything paid off and get to that place of liquidity to say, Jesus, whatever you want to do. And so we're cutting down on outlay and we're, we're, we're just really saying, God, give us faith. But at the same time, here's this. I want to exercise faith going forward. I don't want to be fearful when it comes to if God has called us to go to a certain mission or support someone or to give to a certain cause as we're continuing to do. And so in the same way, that's us as a church. But what about you? What have you done financially? Have you said, Lord, I want to give you the first fruits. See, Cain gave leftovers. When I was growing up, you know, before my dad was a believer, I remember we would go and in the Catholic church, they had in the church that I was a part of, they had a basket at the end of a pole and they would like stick the basket down the row and, you know, it would hover for a little bit. It would just like hover there and go to the next person. Then, you know, people would put whatever it was and, and you think about like some people putting, you know, envelopes in there and there's checks and, and you find out like, man, some people have given property or stocks and other people, but my dad would just take whatever change was in his pocket. And that's what he would give. I'm not faulting him. You know, he didn't really know the word of God. He didn't really know the Lord. It was just whatever change was in his pocket. And I think that sometimes we treat God like that. Like whatever pocket change I have, I'm going to give him a tip. But I'm not going to give him a tithe. I'm not going to give him my first fruits. I'm not going to take that step of faith. Because I'm too fearful of me not having enough. And you know what? Paul, who is very poor, he gave and he blessed others by result of his giving. In prayer, it says in verse 36, when he said these things, he knelt down and he prayed with them all. And notice this great relationship that he had with them. In verse 37, then they all wept freely and they fell on Paul's neck and they kissed him, sorrowing most of all for the words which he spoke that they would see his face no more. And they accompanied him to the ship. They loved Paul. Paul was personally involved in their lives. That You never know when it's the last time you're gonna see someone. But they knew that this was the last time they were going to see Paul. They just, the Holy Spirit had testified to them. And now, looking back, we're going to press forward with this last portion of Scripture. I'm going to read it in its full context and just point out a few things in Acts 21. It says, Now it came to pass that when he had departed from them and set sail, running a straight course, we came to Kos, the following day to Rhodes and from there to Patara. And finding the ship sailing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. And when we had sighted Cyprus, we passed it on the left. We sailed to Syria, landed at Tyre, and then the ship was to unload our cargo there. Finding disciples, we stayed with them seven days. They told Paul, through the Spirit, not to go to Jerusalem. When we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. They all accompanied us. Uh, accompanied us with wives and children till we were out of the city and we knelt down on the shore and prayed. When we had taken our leave of one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. 
And when we had finished our voyage from Tyre, we came to Ptolemus, greeted the brethren, and stayed with them one day. On the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who is one of the seven. We stayed with him. Now this man had four virgin daughters who prophesied. And as we stayed many days, a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come to us, he took Paul's belt. He bound his own hands and feet and said, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard these things, both we and those from that place pleaded with him not to go to Jerusalem. Then Paul answered, What do you mean by weeping and breaking my heart? For I am ready not only to be bound, but also to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. So when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying, the will of the Lord be done. When it comes to pressing forward, you know, you read Acts 21. Luke records it like the highlight of Paul's travels. And I hope you sense the pace and the urgency of the mission in it. Get to Jerusalem, find the next contact, receive the next orders. That's Paul's heart. Doesn't it sound like a, like a, a secret agent, a, a guy that's on a mission? Get to the next city, find the next contact, receive the next orders. Get to the next place, do the next thing, find the next contact, get to know the people at the new job, get to know the people, new class. Get to know the people, new neighborhood, new city. Find them. Learn their names. Get to know them. Love them. Reach out to them. Pray for them. Start conversations with them. Make disciples. Preach the gospel. Find the people at church that you know. Get to know them. Be involved. Serve. God moves. Get to the next place. Find the next contact. Get the next mission. And you know what? That's Paul's life. And you know what? That's Paul's heart, and that should be our heart. Find the next contact. Where's the next person to talk to? What is the next order? You know where he does this? And I'm amazed. He does this in Syria. Tyre is in Syria. You know, ISIS, all of the radical Islamic things that you see in the news today, this is the place that Paul went to. And you know what? There are, are, there's a heritage of Christians that are still there to this day that was planted all the way back from Paul the Apostle, all the way back from this time. We also see something about pressing forward is to know God's timing. In verse five, it says, when we had come to the end of those days, we departed and went on our way. Alistair Begg, when he was teaching on this, said, I have yet to find a pastor that understands this verse. This verse says, when we came to the end of time, we departed and went on our way. And he says, the people understand that, but the pastors don't understand that. So I'll try to end on time so that we could depart and go on our way. But in God's timing, when we had come to the end of those days, it's a sweet thing if you've ever been on a short-term mission trip. You know, in a week, your heart can absolutely be bound to other people's hearts. Man, I remember when we left Russia, um, just on the train, leaving Smolensk, just weeping at these disciples that we had met for four or five days and spent time with them, and our hearts were knit towards them. But it was God's timing to move on to the next thing. I, I found the same thing in Mexico, in the Philippines, in China. You know, when, when God knits your hearts, but, 
But let me tell you this, that when I left Calvary Chapel Golden Springs to come to Northern California to move to San Jose, man, that was a hard, tear-filled uh, time. I remember hugging my best friend, Eric, and just, just praying with him, and, and we, we just hugged because we knew things were going to be different. And then I remember leaving Calvary Chapel San Jose and starting Calvary Chapel Gilroy. And, and Deanna just saying, I, I don't want to leave. And, and yet God was, it was a season. It was, it was a time. And know this, in eternity, we're going to have all the time in the world. But right now, we got to be busy about the Lord's work. We have to be on mission doing what God has called us to do. If we are going to press forward in 2015 to do what God's called us to do, then we need to be sensitive to God's timing. And that means if you're in sixth grade or if you are 98 years old, are you sensitive to God's timing? Am I sensitive to God's timing in my life? God, what do you want to do now? Another thing I see about pressing forward is this family ministry. When they get to Caesarea, it says in verse eight, on the next day, Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. And they enter the house of whom? What does it say? Philip the what? Philip the evangelist. In Acts chapter 6, guess what he was? He was Philip the busboy. Do you remember that? He was a a deacon, which is a a, a table waiter, someone that serves tables. And now he's Philip the evangelist. And what do we see about Philip the evangelist now? He settles down. He's in the city. He has four young daughters. And notice his daughter's are all involved in ministry. His daughters are all involved in ministry. I don't know how old they are. I don't know if they're, they're 10. I don't know if they're 13. I don't know if they're 18. I don't know if they're 20. But they are all involved in ministry. And moving forward, pressing forward, do ministry together as a family. And, and just be together. And let the Lord work in you and through you as a family. Say, God, use us as a family. Remember this, that who was Philip back then? He was Philip the busboy. Let me ask you this question. Who was Saul back then? He was the guy that was killing Christians. And this is his first encounter with Philip was one of the seven. I, I, I love that phrase, one of the seven. As growing up, there was a movie called The Magnificent Seven. And then part two was The Magnificent Seven Rides Again. And I loved it because that guy was an expert in dynamite. This guy had a lasso. That guy was a sharpshooter. This guy, you know, as, as a kid, it's like, oh. And I look at these guys like in Acts chapter six. That's them. He was, he was one of the seven. And Paul meets him. And Paul was responsible for Philip's friend Stephen being put to death. And I want you to see what does Philip do? Paul, come in. Come stay at my place. Because you know what? The Lord has changed you. Because God has worked in your life. And then in trusting God, so important that as we trust God, when they couldn't persuade Paul, it says, when he would not be persuaded, we ceased saying the will of the Lord be done. You know what happened? Some commentators believe that Paul was just hard-headed and just doing his own thing and the Holy Spirit warned him not to go. I don't believe that because earlier we read in Acts chapter 20, do you remember? Paul said, I go bound in the spirit to Jerusalem, knowing this, that chains and persecutions, these trials await me. I believe that God already told Paul, this is what's gonna happen to you. When you get there, 
these things are going to happen in your life. And I believe that God sent these other people to confirm what God had already told Paul. And they told Paul by the Spirit, hey, uh, Agabus says here, Paul, give me your belt. And he took Paul's belt and he tied up his arms and says, this is what's going to happen to the man that owns this belt. I believe that they heard the same message from the Lord, but they had two different interpretations. Here's what they heard, I believe. Paul is going to get locked up and put in prison and be persecuted. He's going to go through a lot of trials. How they interpreted it was, Paul, stay. How Paul interpreted it was, I need to go. So they heard, I believe, the same message, but had different interpretations. In the past three months, I can't remember a time in my life, other than when we started the church in Gilroy, where I've had more people come up to me to say, Matt, I just believe that the Lord told me to tell you this. Here's a scripture where God gave me this dream or God told me to share. And I don't usually do this. You know, I don't, I'm super nervous. I don't even want to say that this is from God, but I just felt like I had to tell you this. And you know what? Those things are matching up. And people, and some of you are in here today, and you've, you've told me in the last few months some of the things that God's told you to tell me that guess what? God has already told me as well. So it's important that God confirms things and, and I, I wouldn't listen to someone if God didn't tell me, you know, it, 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 imagine if you're a single girl and a guy comes to you and says, Hey, you know what? God says, you're the woman that I'm going to marry. If God didn't tell you, then just run for the hills and that guy, you know, just get, get rid of that guy, get out of there. But if God has also told you, this is the man that you're going to marry. And then God has told him, this is the woman that you're going to marry. Then, okay, maybe the Lord is up to something. And you know what I believe? I believe they heard the same message, but they had a different interpretation. Therefore, when he would not be persuaded, we ceased, saying the will of the Lord be done. Where do you put the comma? Where do you put the comma in verse 14? When he would not be persuaded, we cease saying the will of the Lord be done. You know, we're done. We just give up on the will of the Lord. Or we ceased, comma, saying the will of the Lord be done. Know this, we could trust God when we can't control the future. We can trust God when we can't control the future. Lord, I believe this is your will, and I'm gonna take some steps, but if the door is closed, the will of the Lord be done. God, I'm gonna take the step of faith, and I don't know what's gonna happen, but if God changes directions, the will of the Lord be done. You might believe that you have a word from the Lord for someone else, and they might go in a different direction, the will of the Lord be done. Trust him. And as we go into communion, guess what happened when Paul got to Jerusalem? I'm just, I'm giving away the end of Acts, but you know already, right? What happens? He gets put in prison. And when Paul gets put in prison, he's there for years. He never goes on another missionary journey the same way. In fact, he's imprisoned. But in imprisonment, guess what he does? He writes what is called the prison epistles. Philippians, Colossians. He writes pastoral epistles. He writes his last letter to Timothy. Do you know that Paul reached more people through those letters than he could have ever reached on his own? Because you know, he reached me. He reached you through those letters. He's spoken to churches and to people in ages past. 
And guess what? When he followed the will of the Lord, God used it. So I want to end with that verse from Philippians. He wrote it from prison. Paul said this, one thing I do, it's forgetting those things which are behind me and striving towards those things which are in front of me. For I press on for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Put 2014 behind you. Glean from it, learn from it, appreciate God for the things he's done. Mistakes that you've made don't live in your past. It doesn't mean that you don't have to repair the past. Sometimes it means you have to make amends for those things, right? Or you have to apologize or you have to repent for some things. But put 2014 behind you. And this morning, can we as a church say, we're looking forward to 2015 saying, God, just use us. God, do your will in us. God, help us to draw near to you like never before. God, we want to expect that a, a day isn't magic. It's not January 1st and magically everything changes. But today, God, I just want to seek you today. And when I wake up tomorrow, I want to seek you tomorrow. And the next day, I'm going to take up my cross daily and follow after him. So as you press on for God's call, if you're in high school, don't just look at high school as being in high school. Pray for your friends. Pray for your teachers. You know what? There is no law in California that will, not allow, that will, will stop you from just having an outreach and a Bible study on your campus if you have boldness, if you're not afraid, if you have security in your identity. If you're a college student, you know what? There's nothing that prevents you from reaching out to your campus. And when it comes to your goals and what God is going to do in your future, don't calculate your goals just based on what you want to do. Say, God, you have life and purpose for me. You have gifts and talents that you've given to me. What do you want to do with those things? Use me. And you know what? If you are in middle age, if you are retired, your retirement is not just, hey, I'm just going to golf. It's, God, use me. God, how can I use my time? How can I use my resources? How can I share some of this wisdom with others? And as we have the worship team come up and we spend this time um, in communion together, God has a calling on your life. I believe that there are some people here that God has a specific calling for ministry purpose. And maybe it's vocational ministry. Maybe it's pastoral ministry. Maybe it's as a missionary. But, but God has a calling. And I, I this morning just want to say, God, open up our hearts to receive that calling. That we could have joy in doing what you've called us to do. And if you've never received Christ as your Lord and your Savior, then realize this. Today is the day of salvation. Don't wait until 2016. Don't wait until you're older. You don't know what a day holds. God, today I want to serve you. Today I want to know you. Today I want to repent. Today I want that relationship. And man, if you have blown it and you have messed up in 2014, and it is a year you would just like to erase, then guess what? Praise God. Like Paul, you could say, there's one thing that I'm going to do. I'm going to put my past behind me. I'm going to go forward today. Because it's the word of his grace. Fresh starts. New starts. His mercies are new every morning. I'm going to pray. And as I pray, when you feel led during this next song, I would like you to come to my right, to your left. Take the bread and the cup. And between you and the Lord, say, God, I surrender to you this year. And I can't surrender for the whole year, but for today I surrender. If you've never received Christ as your Lord and your Savior, 
What this means is the bread represents his body that was broken for you. The cup represents his blood that was shed. Jesus died on the cross for us so that we wouldn't be separated from God. He came in the form of a man to take on human flesh so that he could know us and we could know him. And if you've never prayed a prayer of faith to say, Jesus, come into my life, forgive me for my sins, let today be that day. And if you pray that, then come up, take the bread and cup back to your seat and partake. For us as followers of Christ, let's commit to follow him fully. Maybe there's something that you just need to confess to the Lord. God, forgive me. I just want to lay it out on the table. I don't want any barriers between me and you. I don't want anything to come between my relationship with you. And so I just lay it down and I confess this. And I'm turning, I'm repenting. And then, Lord, use me. God, use me. And as I partake of that bread and cup and I realize what Jesus did for me, I want to do something for you, Lord. I want to serve you. Lord, help me to hear your calling in my life. Let's pray. Father, as we worship, we ask you that you would draw us close to you. We thank you, Jesus, for dying for us on the cross. We thank you for your blood that was shed for us to forgive us of our sins, to take our place, our punishment upon yourself. We thank you that you were bruised and beaten on our behalf. Lord, that you came not to be served, but to serve. So Lord, for those of us that are followers of of Christ, we want to say, Lord, use us. Because God, you've already done for us. Now we want to do for you. Not that we're trying to buy you off or trying to pay you back because we never really can, Lord. But we just want to say thank you. And we pray that you would use us, God, to reach out to others, to disciple. Lord, help us to look for the next contact, the new orders, the next place, the next thing that you have for us. May your calling in our lives be fulfilled. And for anyone that's never received you, I pray that today would be that day that they would open up their hearts by faith and say, Jesus, come into my life and fill me with your spirit. Forgive us, Lord. Consecrate us as a church. Lord, set us apart. We want to repent. We want to turn towards you of any hidden thing, any wicked thing, anything, Lord, any anxiousness, any worry, any doubt. God, cleanse us. And we ask that 2015 would be a year of growth and a year of following after you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.